Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to episode 246 of SwiftCast. This is Steph. And Adam. And we are really excited because we're getting so close to tour. We're recording and we have exactly a month till tour. So it seems like we've been waiting forever, but we're really excited about that. And along with tour coming up, it's also SwiftCast's five-year anniversary is this month. So we've officially been doing the podcast for five years. And to celebrate all of this, we are going to have a call in with our listeners. We like to do this. We love to hear from everyone. And we're especially excited to hear what people are thinking for tour. So we're going to have a call in on Sunday, April 22nd. And we're going to begin taking calls at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So mark that on your calendar. We're excited to hear from all of you. Yeah, it's been a while since we've done one, and they're always really fun. And I think this one will be great because we can talk all about tour with you. You can tell us what songs you think will be on the set list, what songs you think won't make the set list, what older songs might make it, uh, what outfits Taylor will wear, if she'll have special guests and who they may be, all kinds of different things. There's so much to predict and be wrong about potentially, but you never know. But yeah, like you said, tour is less than a month away now, and it's just so exciting. I can't wait until May 8th, not because I'll be there, because I won't, but just to sit on Twitter all night and follow along and see everything that happens. It's going to be such a fun night. It really is. I can't wait. I think predicting tour and speculating about tour is so fun, but then actually seeing it all come together is amazing. And I have no doubt that this tour will blow everyone away. So like we said, mark your calendar and please join us on Sunday, April 22nd at 8 Yes, and follow us on Twitter at SwiftCast13 to get all of the details. Yes, we'll let you know call-in number, when the lines are open, when the lines are closed. So please follow along. And along with our excitement for our call-in episode, we're also really excited for this episode because we're going through track by track on the album and talking about each song. On our last episode, episode 245, we skipped ahead and discussed Delicate because, as you know, that's the newest single. Taylor's had two music videos for it, so we wanted to skip ahead. We've previously covered Ready For It and Endgame in our song discussions. This week, though, we're going to be talking about I Did Something Bad. I'm so excited. 
So stay tuned for our main discussion on I Did Something Bad. Yes, it's going to be great. One of my favorites. Absolutely, me too. Before we get to our main discussion, though, we have some news for you. And the first one, like Steph mentioned, Taylor has two music videos for Delicate. And it's been two weeks since we had our last episode, so this is the first time we've had a chance to talk about this, but Taylor released a second music video for Delicate, only on Spotify. It's an exclusive, and you can watch it via Spotify on their website, I believe, and also on the app, of course. And it is a self-shot, all-in-one take, uh, vertical video, which I understand that's what Spotify exclusives are, and it's cool. I don't know how I would describe it other than Taylor singing along while wandering through the woods. It looks like, to me, like she's on some kind of contraption. The way the camera goes up and down and up and down. I don't know. I would love to see what's going on on the ground. Yeah, I don't think she was holding the camera or the phone. It it almost looks like it was shot on an iPhone. But at certain points, you have both of her hands in the shot. So, yeah, I don't know the magic behind it, but it was all done in one take, as some journalists tweeted about. But it was pretty cool. Yeah, that was cool. The fact that it was done in one take reminded me of the We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together music video, which was also done in one take. It took them 18 times, though, to get that one take for We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together. So I was wondering if this was the first take and they used it or if they had to do it a couple times. Either way, it's really cute and you should watch it if you haven't seen it yet. The other cool thing is it makes me wonder what other exclusives Spotify will have for Taylor. I bet they'll have a lot more in the future. Right. She's obviously done a lot with Spotify in number one, putting her music on Spotify. Number two, releasing these playlists of all of her favorite songs and songs she loves. So she obviously has a great relationship with them and there might be more to come. We'll see. Well, the next piece of news is about Taylor's presence on social media. We've talked before about how Taylor has been increasing her presence on social media lately. And on Tumblr, someone said, did you see what Haley Kayoko said about Taylor? I'm sad. And so this question that a fan posted on Tumblr was in reference to an interview that Haley Kayoko had where she said that people have made comments about her making music videos about girls. And she responded, I literally looked at them and was like, um, yeah, Taylor Swift sings about men in every single song and video and no one complains that she's unoriginal. So the fan again said, did you see what Haley said about Taylor? I'm sad. And shaking off the bad blood responded, I did. I think people are actually misinterpreting the quote. I don't know if it is being taken out of context or what, but if you read the interview itself, I don't believe she was calling Taylor unoriginal or boy crazy. She was just defending her choice for wanting to make videos with female love interests. It's actually very similar to when Taylor, back in 2014-2015, would say in interviews how she believes people are sexist when they call her out for writing about her ex's 
but don't call out people like Ed Sheeran or Bruno Mars for writing about theirs. She wasn't calling out Ed or Bruno at the time, yet rather criticizing how the media and the public handled the situation. Haley appears to be doing the same. And so Taylor actually responded, and she wrote, Exactly. We should applaud artists who are brave enough to tell their honest romantic narrative through their art. And the fact is that I've never encountered homophobia, and she has. It's her right to call out anyone who has double standards about gay versus straight love interests. So that was, it was really nice of Taylor to respond and kind of clear the air because I, don't, I think people were misinterpreting the quote. Yeah, and the Tumblr post makes a really good point, And it actually just came up again this past week in regards to the fact that Taylor gets called out so much for writing about her relationships, but male artists do the same thing about their relationships and don't get called out. And the most current example is The Weeknd, who just released his new album and was getting praised all over the place about it. And I think it's pretty evident that it is about Selena Gomez. So why does he get all this praise when Taylor gets all this hate? That is a good example that has been in the news lately. I agree with Taylor's statements from 2014 and 2015 that it is sexist. And the same here. I I agree with Taylor. I don't think people should make statements about the subject matter. They should just be glad people are writing from their personal experiences. I think that's why people relate to music so much when the artist is actually writing about personal experiences rather than just taking music and lyrics that were actually written by somebody else or multiple people. You can't really relate to that as well. Right. I don't know much about Haley Kiyoko, but from what I understand is that she, you know, sings and writes about uh, her life, just like a lot of artists do. And it's good for her to express her thoughts and how she expresses them and how she visualizes them in her music videos is totally up to her. So, and it's good to see Taylor on Tumblr responding because, you know, we always want to see posts and pictures and comments from her. So for her to pop in, even though she has been pretty quiet lately, is a good thing. Yeah, maybe she'll start even more. I'd imagine that rehearsals for tour are winding down or they're just perfecting it probably at this point. So maybe she'll be more active in the coming weeks. Hope so. So actually Taylor did pop up recently one time in a very surprising fashion. She went back and played at the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville. And she posted a picture and a caption on Instagram that said, went back and played the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville. I played there for the first time when I was 14. There were bunny ears and and she put a shot glass emoji this time. And thanks to Craig Wiseman. And Craig is a writer in Nashville, and she was there basically just to support him. And she performed two songs, Better Man and Shake It Off. And she took a shot of whiskey with him, which was funny to see. (laughs) But yeah, it was a, a very surprising performance. Nobody knew it was coming. Nobody in the audience even knew it was coming. So it was great to see her out and about. Yeah, definitely. I think 
that maybe this was a special night for the 35 years of the bluebird. Did you read that? Yeah, I think it was either that or that in a combination of um, Craig being honored as well for being a prolific Nashville writer. Yeah, I think that Taylor and Craig Wiseman have been friends for a while. They actually talked about a time after the CMT Awards where there was an after party and apparently Ed Sheeran was also there. So I'm guessing it probably was when the Red Tour was going on in 2013. But I guess what happened is that Taylor and Ed stole Craig's large inflatable bottle of Fireball that was sitting in a corner. So I think that's why they decided to do these shots of Fireball on that night. So that that was a really funny story I had never heard before. Yeah, I hadn't heard that either, but that does sound like typical Taylor and Ed to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but that was amazing. I can't imagine people who went there that night. The Bluebird only seats about 40 people, and they had no idea that Taylor was going to show up. So what a night that would have been. Another thing that Taylor has done lately is, of course, she's always using her money for good. And she recently donated what was called a generous donation to the Rape Abuse and Incest National Network. And as we know, Taylor back in August, after she won her trial, said she would be making donations to multiple organizations to help people defend themselves. And she's been doing that. She's been making donations to all kinds of different organizations. And the organization tweeted that Taylor's generous donation will help to ensure that survivors and their loved ones get the help they need and deserve. Yeah, it seems like all the time we're talking about different donations and organizations that Taylor is helping with. And here's another one. So always great to see. Well, last week, the Taylor Swift experience at the Grammy Museum opened at the Prudential Center in New Jersey. And I saw some pictures of this on Twitter and some Taylor fans who went on the first or second day was open. And it just seems so cool. I wish it would come to a location near me. Uh, But so far, I think it's just been in New York, L.A., and now New Jersey. Is that right? It was also in Mississippi. That's right. But it just seems so cool. I mean, to see all the different outfits from tour and i know for sure one of the grammys was there and who knows what else but i really really want to go yeah and this one's updated with reputation era not just signs but also outfits from music videos so it looks really cool it's only seven dollars if you live around new jersey or if you want to take a trip You could always go see Taylor at MetLife and go also check out the exhibit. There you go. That is a great idea. Well, speaking of tour, there was also an interesting article in Rolling Stone about Taylor's ticket pricing model. And we've talked a lot about this over our more recent episodes with Taylor changing her model for pricing. So the article is called Taylor Swift's Ticket Strategy brilliant business or slowing demand. 
And so this was written by Steve Noper. And he writes about how Taylor's pricing model is based on demand. And he starts the article by saying, if you went on Ticketmaster in January and pulled a third row seat for Taylor's June 2nd show in Chicago, it would have cost you $995. But if you look up the same seat three months later, the price is $595. And so he actually relates Taylor's pricing model to how airline seats shift prices constantly to adjust to market demand. So that's interesting with the comparison to airlines. Yeah, it does make sense because if you think about if you get an airline ticket at the last minute, say the week before the flight, and there are almost no seats left, you're going to pay a very high amount. But if the airlines are noticing that the flight is not selling out, they're going to lower the price of the ticket to entice more people to buy. So it's the same model with this reputation tour. And it's very different, as we've talked about, from the 1989 tour, which was not dynamic pricing, and it sold out almost instantly. However, it was probably priced too low because scalpers got a bunch of the tickets and then resold them at a higher value. So in the dynamic price, yes, the prices are going to be higher, but it's pricing the scalpers out and Taylor and her team and Big Machine and whomever else will get the money from those tickets rather than scalpers. Right. So it it is good in theory. And other artists like U2, Kenny Chesney, Pink, The Eagles, and Shania Twain are using the same model. And it is true that it, it's better to have the money go to the artists rather than to scalpers. But for fans, it's difficult because a lot of us can't afford even $600 for a third row seat. So a lot of us aren't going to as many shows as we usually would. And I haven't really been monitoring prices that much. So I'm not quite sure how they've fluctuated over the months. Yeah, I haven't either. But if you think about it, if these shows are still not sold out by the week before, you would have to think that they're going to slash those ticket prices to entice people to go. And that might even make fans like you and me, Steph, be enticed to go to shows that are somewhat near us that we otherwise might not have. Because if there are cheap tickets available, I'm certainly going to be interested. That's true. And so it could be beneficial to fans later. You just have to be flexible with attending, kind of just a wait and see, which for people who like to plan probably can be a little frustrating. Right. And it does bring up the unfair aspect of it because people who jumped on the tickets right from the beginning might have paid a certain amount. And then if other tickets in that section are still available at a later date, they might be less expensive. So unfortunately for that fan who bought them first, they paid more. Exactly. And if you bought them first and say something comes up and you're unable to attend and then you try to sell them, you might not even break even with what you put into the tickets. 
Right. So definitely for 1989, the tickets were priced too low. For this tour, a lot of people are saying, yes, they're priced too high, but that's what you're going to get with this dynamic pricing model. And it it's shifting the sales away from scalpers. I remember reading in an earlier article that 30% of the tickets from the 1989 tour, right when they went on sale, went back up on resale sites. And for this tour, Reputation, only 3% of tickets went back up for resale. So they cut the number of scalpers by 10 times as less. Right. Yeah. I remember reading that same statistic and was really surprised. I didn't know. Maybe I would have guessed more than 30% went to third party websites through 1989. But here, that 3% is so low. So I think Taylor's achieving her goal, even though tour's not sold out. I doubt she's really worried because I'm sure she expects it will sell out as the dates approach. Yep, for sure. There was a quote from one of those earlier articles that said, the goal with dynamic pricing is to sell the last ticket on the day of the show. Right. I remember that too. Yeah, so I don't know. I think there are a lot of positives and negatives to this model. And Taylor's clearly setting the trend. Other people are following her. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Well, that's all that we have for the news for this week. We will be right back with our main discussion. So as we mentioned, for this week's episode, we're covering I Did Something Bad, which is so exciting. And we have a lot of content about I Did Something Bad, which a lot of other songs don't have a ton of content. But for I Did Something Bad, Taylor not only had a full video of the making of the song through her Taylor Swift Now on DirecTV, but she also talked about the song during the iHeart listening session. So we want to first play you the Taylor Swift Now making of a song so that you can hear Taylor working on the song. Say I did 
felt so good. Drop or something. So like okay, do one round of verse first. I never trust a narcissist, but they love me. So I play him like a violin and I make it look oh so easy. Cause for every lie I tell them, no. Remember lie I tell them, they tell me three. We're still in the verse. Okay, okay, so okay. This is how the world. That's right. She's got star over. Star. Okay. So just one verse. The second half of the verse. Okay. For every lie I tell them, they tell me three. Most fun I ever had And I'd do it over and over If I could that's what, that's what No, I started out going Most fun I ever had And I'd do it over and over and over again If I could Or whatever Yeah, I like that Yeah, I think I like that Yeah, I think I like that Yay Because then you do an octave Over and over Yeah I'd do it over and over Yeah. Put an octave on that, so you know. Yeah. That's gonna be cool. Now he's like making fun of the bass line. I like that bass line. It's making fun of the bass line. Yeah, then you have to turn down the, the, the glide bit. just recorded a idea I got in the middle of the night that is so stupid. It's literally straight from my phone and it's what? It's got, I mean kind of. You'll do stuff to it to make Oh my god, I love that. <laughs> 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 
don't remember watching this the first time it was released and just watching it now for the first time it was so good wasn't it it was i was in the same boat as you i had not seen it until now and it might be my favorite one and the very beginning starts out by saying that it's day one the first day of you know making this song maybe the lyrics were already written or some of them at least but this was the first day of production and the first thing I noticed was that Taylor was working on it exclusively on the piano and the lyrics were very different than what ended up being in the final song. Right. And that reminded me of the voice memo for Blank Space on 1989, how she was kind of mumbling a lot of the lyrics for Blank Space when she was writing it. It was similar here where she was kind of mumbling. She knew the tune. So interesting to watch her work. It really is. It does seem like she comes up with lyrics on the spot while she, I'm sure, writes down some lyrics and thoughts of, you know, what the song might be about. She basically, in this example, took the beat and what she had so far and kind of just tried out different things. Yeah, that's my favorite part. Just seeing her work it out. Love it. So then the video jumps to 13 days later and Shellback, I believe it's him, is sitting on the couch and he's playing the guitar, just acoustic, and they're working on the first verse together. And that made me think of how good this song would be as an acoustic performance. Did you think the same? Yes. Or also, though, piano, because that's how it started. Right. Either one. I mean, obviously on the album, you get this whole big production with, you know, a big bass and that ratatatata part, which we'll talk about coming up. Um, and I feel like on tour, it's going to be a big production. But on the other hand, it would be really good as piano or guitar, too. Right. I could see her stripping it down one day to piano or guitar. 
kind of like how she's done Wildest Dreams on guitar before, like Space on guitar. That'd be cool to see. But I also wondered if, so it goes from day one to day 14. I wonder if she was working on it in between then or if she took a break. It's one thing I don't know. Yeah, good question. It did not specify. So then the next part I liked is when Taylor and Shellback are messing around with the beat on the synthesizer and they're coming up with the the beat of the song basically and I think Taylor at one point said something about it sounds like a broken computer or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she said that. It which it, it did, really. Yeah, it does have a unique sound to it, that's for sure. And then, of course, we get into the part that everybody was kind of shocked about, and that's the the ratatatata part. And I think going way back, you know, what is it, six, seven months ago now, when I first heard the song, that I thought, and I said this on an episode, I thought that might have been Jack Antonoff's voice, because it sounds like a male's voice. But then we come to find out, nope, it was Taylor. (laughs) I know, what a surprise. I thought the same thing. I never thought that that was actually Taylor. So she said she just basically sent it to him on a voice memo, and the original version sounds different than what ended up on the album, but you can see them working on the production in this video and changing the tune to make it fit how they wanted, and then even Taylor recording some newer versions of it, which was neat to see. Yeah, that part was really cool. And just, it still surprises me. It's really neat, the things that they can do to change tones and just make things sound different. Well, and like Adam said, even at the beginning, on day one, the lyrics were different. But as the video progresses, you, you still see different lyrics. For example, Taylor says she uses the lyric pitchforks outside. Instead of, they've got their pitchforks and proof. So it's always interesting to see how these songs evolve. And I really do love that we were able to get videos with Reputation. Yeah, especially since she's not doing any type of promotion or interviews with Rolling Stone or Billboard. So you don't get a chance to hear her talk about the songs. So seeing the making of them is even better in my opinion i just wish we could have gotten you know a 30 minute video or an hour as opposed to seven (laughs) minutes yes i want to see every single day that she worked on it yeah and final end product yeah we we would watch it for hours definitely taylor though did talk about writing i did something bad when she did the listening session through iHeartRadio. So we want to play you a clip of what she said about the song. This was the first song where Max and I felt like we'd really done something different than 1989. We were like, we were like, oh, that is all right. Okay. This song is called I Did Something Bad. And I wrote this song on piano. It's not going to sound like it, though. You're not going to say that after you hear it. It's not that kind of song. So I brought it into them, and I was trying to explain the production. I had had a weird dream, and I'd woken up with this. You're like, here we go again. I'd woken up with this sound in my head that was like this, like, 
it was a sound that was so so hooky and so catchy that I knew it had to be in a song because it was that annoying. It was like it wouldn't stop going around in my head, and the sound was. And then it was like, duh, 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 bruh. Can you make that about my ringtone? Yeah, absolutely. It'll always get your attention. Like, after the chorus, that's what I want to hear. But I don't want it to be my voice. I want it to be an instrument. What instrument is that? So I was, like, playing the voice memo to Max, and he's like, oh, no, there's not, like, an instrument that can do that. <laughs> he's like, but what we can do is we can take your voice doing it and pitch it down so that it sounds like an enchantress slash a dude. <laughs> And so, so that's what you're hearing after the chorus. But, um, anyway, <laughs> this is called I Did Something Bad. And this is when we first kind of knew we might be onto something with the album. So a lot of what Taylor said, you can also see on the making of the song series. For example, she wrote the song on piano at the beginning. And with the ratatata part, it was really cool to learn back in November when the album was released that she came up with that through a dream. She woke up with that sound in her head and recorded it as a voice memo, which we know she does all the time. And it's just really cool because we also know, for example, All You Had to Do Was Stay, that song, the, the very high-pitched stay, also came to Taylor in a dream. And she just woke up with that really high-pitched stay, and it became part of the song. So Taylor's a genius, just doing stuff in her sleep. I wish I could be productive like that in my sleep. Right, and I like how she said that she wanted to hear that sound that she made, but she didn't want it to be in her voice. So the way that it ended up fitting into the final product doesn't sound like her, but it sure does fit the song well. It really does. And it'll be interesting to see what they do on tour. I wonder if it will just be in the background. Yeah, you just made me think maybe it will be in the background track or maybe the backup singers will do that part. Oh, that would be good. I would like that. I'm sure there's a way that the backup singers could even sing into the mic and have it toned down somehow so that it, it sounds as Taylor describes it, like an enchantress slash dude. <laughs> so I don't know. I'll be excited to see. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dive a little bit more into the actual song. We wanted to talk briefly about an article that was posted right after the album was released from the website Vox. And the title of the article is Taylor Swift's I Did Something Bad annotated. Here's who the song is about. All the grudges Swift sings about in Reputation's best and pettiest track. And now, of course, we don't always like to spend a lot of time or speculate on who all of Taylor's songs are about. But in this instance, we want to just briefly, because number one, this song seems to touch on a bunch of different topics. And of course, it's debatable, even based upon this evidence that we're going to read and talk about who this song is about. But number two, because it is such a good song, and as the authors of the article state, 
The song itself sounds like a mean girl imperial march wrapped around a churning beat with thunderous stomps and synths that zip and zag, threatening to rip the song at the seams. It's the best pop song on the album, which is why it's so surprising that Swift has managed to weave so much juicy personal gossip into it. So how about that introduction? Yeah, I really like the way they describe it. A mean girl imperial march wrapped around a churning beat. So we won't spend too long on it, but let's touch on a couple of the lyrics and who they could be about. The first one comes from right at the beginning when she says, I never trust a narcissist, but they love me. So I play him like a violin and I make it look oh so easy and so on. And the article states that this is most likely in reference to Kanye West because he has been described in the press as a narcissist multiple times. See, I didn't know that until I read this article. I think the first time I heard the song, I just thought she could be talking about anyone. Right. And like I mentioned, this line could even apply to multiple people. It could apply to multiple situations. Yeah, and I think that's true for the whole song. That's why I like it so much. It's It could apply to so many situations and people that it makes it really ambiguous, which I think is Sailor's goal. Yeah, and a lot of her songs do that. They are ambiguous in that they don't state exactly who or what they're about, and this is another perfect example. Well, the next one that they cover is the line... If he drops my name, then I owe him nothing. And if he spends my change, then he had it coming, which was always intriguing to me because it made me wonder if somebody took advantage of Taylor and spent her money. That's what it sounds like. But the authors here seem to think that that is referring to Calvin Harris and the fact that she co-wrote the lyrics to the song with Rihanna, This Is What You Came For. And of course... We didn't find that out until after the song was actually released, well after the song was released. And we also learned later that Taylor is actually featured on the song. She sings on the song, too. So the authors think that that's what that's referring to. Yeah, that was a whole weird situation because it seemed like at one time when Calvin was doing an interview with Ryan Seacrest that... He claimed the song for himself, yet they had created it together. And then we get the word from Taylor's team that she indeed was a co-writer. And then everything kind of blew up from there. So I could see how this lyric applies to that situation, definitely. Yeah, that's true. It was kind of messy when all of that happened. Right. It's like, were they planning to keep this a secret that she was a co-writer, but then... Somebody had a change of heart and they decided to come out with this information. Not exactly sure, but it was an interesting time back then in the summer of 16. It was, absolutely. And I can see why Taylor would weave some of those circumstances into her songs. So the next part includes the line, I never trust a playboy, but they love me. So I fly them all around the world and I let them think they saved me. And that they never see it coming, what I do next. This is how the world works. You got to leave before you get left. And in my opinion, I agree with the authors that this is definitely about Tom Hiddleston. I think the line, fly him all around the world, 
is in reference to the fact that they went to Rome and then they also went to somewhere in England or the UK to visit his family. And of course, the line, you got to leave before you get left. It is rumored that Taylor did indeed leave Tom before she got left. So what do you think about that one? Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Although I don't really view Tom Hiddleston as a playboy. I know Taylor could just be taking creative liberties and making sure things sound right when she writes them. But I I do think that probably makes sense. Yeah, I know your point, though. I guess I don't really know much about him. Um, I don't know if that would be a term used better for somebody else or what. But like you said, she could just be adding lyrics to make the song sound better, which I'm sure she does all the time. Yeah, I think seeing these videos made me realize even more that she might have one thing in mind, but then it completely changes just because you have to go with what sounds right and what lyrically makes the most sense. Right. And the last one that we wanted to cover was one of the, I don't know, the the whole song is great, but one of the best parts of the song, they're burning all the witches, even if you aren't one. They got their pitchforks and proof, their receipts and reasons. They're burning all the witches, even if you aren't one. So light me up. And so the authors speculate that Taylor is referring to the Kanye West and Kim Kardashian incidents because Kim had the, quote, receipts ready and published all the videos, which I agree with that. Yeah, and this relates back to the very end of the Look What You Made Me Do music video when one of those Taylors um, asks another one, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm getting receipts. Do you remember that? Yeah. So receipts is a little bit of a theme in this era. So the song as a whole, I did something bad. I don't know if I know exactly if it has a overarching theme, but in those little short parts that we looked at, we seem to cover Kanye, Kim, Calvin and Tom. So there's a lot going on in this song. There's a lot. And like I said, I like it because I think the fact that she threw so much in there makes it more ambiguous. Yeah, exactly. I think it's brilliant. People can't really say one way or the other. No. Mm-mm. So for you, what was your initial impression of it as a song, as a whole? And how does it rank for you now here that we're several months since the release of Reputation. I remember on my first listen through that it was definitely one of my favorites. And I can certainly say now that it is still up there, probably top three for sure. Yeah, I, I remember Don't Blame Me really stuck out and this one did too. And it's still way, way up there. I actually think this should have been released as the lead single. I think the general public didn't really get Look What You Made Me Do. I think even some fans didn't get it, honestly, but fans got it more so than the general public. I think this would have been a perfect, perfect lead single for this album. I think I do have to disagree with you because I think that Look What You Made Me Do worked perfectly because of the fact that she had been gone and out of the spotlight for so long, and she did the whole thing with 
erasing all of her social media and starting out with those little snake clips. And the music video is just iconic. And it's one of the best music videos that, of course, Taylor has made. But it's one of the top videos ever on YouTube with how many views it has. So I think her coming into this era with that song and that music video was perfect. It doesn't reflect on the album as a whole, which none of the first singles really do. But I will agree with you on the point that I think it should be a single. I think maybe it should have been the second or third single that came out, but maybe there's still a chance it could be in the future. I hope so. One thing I kind of wonder is when I first heard this song, it kind of reminded me of Demi Lovato's song, Sorry Not Sorry, just kind of the theme. And that was a single around the time when Reputation was about to be released as an album. And so I kind of wondered if she released it as a single, if people would try to accuse her of having a song that's too similar to a song like Sorry Not Sorry. Just thematically, the songs are similar. I don't think they're similar in really any other way. I could just see people, because people like to criticize Taylor, just coming up with that as a way to try to tear her down. I really thought that this would already be a single and it hasn't, so I don't know. Yeah, I hadn't really thought of that before, but now that you say it, I can see a little bit of a similarity between the songs in terms of theme, and then even in sound a little bit too. This song is a little bit louder, and you have Taylor's voice getting louder and higher during the chorus, and... Sorry Not Sorry is the same way in the chorus. And like you said about being a single, it's tough because there's so many songs that us as fans want to be singles. I mean, how awesome would it be to get a music video for Getaway Car or Don't Blame Me or Call It What You Want? Yes, I agree. There are too many. But I'm going to hold out hope that this does become a single. So for you, do you have a favorite lyric? in the song um that's a good question and i think it might have to be the part where she swears because it's so unique (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was i guess surprising for some people taylor has said swear words in other songs but nothing like this right not this one nothing like this yeah how about you anything particular for me mine is actually one we covered through the article the This is how the world works. You got to leave before you get left. Uh, That's actually probably one of my favorite lyrics of the whole album. I think it's brilliant. And I think a lot of people can relate to that lyric. Yeah, and you can relate to it in a lot of different situations. It's basically just saying that you have to take control of your life and what you're doing. And whether it be a job or something else you know you got to make decisions that are going to benefit you you as yourself yeah i was thinking not just jobs but also friends not necessarily romantic relationships but just relationships in general i feel like everybody can relate to that right it really stuck out yeah you have to leave before the other person does it first so that you can get out of the the bad situation or whatever it might be I also love she has reference to red lipstick, of course, which is kind of a theme in this album. 
on Endgame, she talks about red lips. Here, she talks about red lips. And I don't know. The whole song is just so good. I like the buildup throughout the whole song. Yeah, and we haven't even mentioned the end of the bridge with the part that goes, light me up, go ahead and light me up. I mean, just the building to the crescendo, I guess it would be called, to the final chorus is perfect. Absolutely. And all I can think about is tour that part, light me up. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Right. I imagine something like all the the lights in the stadium are out except for a couple very, very bright white lights that are on her. And maybe they just get like brighter and brighter until like the stage is blinded in light or something like that. Oh, I like that. I was thinking how you said in a different episode, maybe they'll still incorporate bracelets somehow or some kind of lighting feature for the fans. And to synchronize everything with that part of the song would be really cool. And I can just practically hear all the fans going crazy during that part. Mm-hmm. But I, we'll see. I really, I just can't wait to see the production of this song on tour. Like Adam said earlier, I could see it being a big production on tour, even though it would be cool to see it on piano or guitar. I think this will be a huge song and I could see her maybe switching it up to extend it a little bit kind of like she did out of the woods on the 1989 tour yeah that is a good thought I definitely agree with that I hope so I would love to see an extended version of this song rather than just the song yeah she has so much creativeness and there are plenty of examples just from 1989 tour blank space was extended with the looping of the city name uh, i knew you were trouble on both of the last two tours was extended uh, like you said out of the woods was extended so i bet she has something good up her sleeve i could see some kind of big intro to this maybe with a violin that would be cool yeah like the red tour i knew you were trouble intro Mm-hmm. and of course here you at the beginning, you have the strings of the violin being played. And, and of course, the second line is, so I play them like a violin. <laughs> Perfect. That would be pretty cool. Do you have any ideas where this would be placed on the set list? Ooh, good question. I don't know. I'll have to think about that for our tour predictions episode, which will come out right before the tour starts. But just on a very first guess, I would put it towards the beginning to get the crowd you know pumped up and going crazy i like that idea kind of like how you mentioned trouble on 1989 that was an extended song and it really got the crowd pumped up it was near the beginning i could see it maybe around that part of the set list yeah i think it was the fourth song right after welcome to new york new romantics and blank space yeah I could see that. Well, either way, I can't wait to see what happens. And I'm going to keep hoping that this will become a single someday. Yeah, I hope so too. It would be great to have a music video and see what kind of creativeness she could put into that. Absolutely. And I think it would do so well on radio. So we'll see. Well, thanks for listening. We'd love to hear what you think about I Did Something Bad. You can reach us on. Twitter, Tumblr, 
Instagram, and Facebook at SwiftCast13. You can also email us your thoughts at SwiftCast13show at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us because, like we mentioned at the beginning of our episode, we are having a call-in on April 22nd at 8 p.m. And we can't wait to hear from everyone about tour predictions and even just general reputation insights and impressions. So stay tuned for that. And we look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, it will be fun. Give us a call and we will chat all about tour. It'll be here before we know it. For now, for episode 246, this has been Steph. And Adam. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you. See ya. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.